Hi, I'm Frankie de Jong, and you're listening to PR Football Rex. Hello and welcome to BR Football Ranks and today is a very special day. My name is Jack Collins and I am joined as ever by Sam Tai. Hello mate. And Dean Jones. Hello mate. And today we're, we're celebrating boys aren't we because one of the best players of all time is his birthday and uh, we wanted to celebrate and so Lionel Messi turns 33 today and I wanted to use the occasion to say some words I've said before but ones that still sing so please indulge me for another moment. For an ode to the king. See, for me, it's not always about losing or winning. It's about the players that can instantly start my heart singing. And it's not unreal statistics that set them apart. But the fact that the game is not science, it's art. Totti, Joaquin, Aymar, Ronaldinho, Raquel Meguti, Nedved, Janino. But the finest of them all, the Queen Bee, the Sacred Cow, wears the number 10 shirt at Barcelona's camp now. Skipping, dancing, laughing through tackles. See, as he scampers away, electricity crackles around his feet. And opposition can only applaud and sigh as the ball hits the net and both hands point to sky. Creator, finisher, playmaker, technician, artist, poet, wizard, magician. This is a player who it seems on repeat makes me gasp, inhale, reach the edge of my seat, who defies logic and gravity, physics and law, and leaves me scrabbling for words simply in awe. It's not about clutch or stats or even winning and defeat, but the fact that most weeks my heart skips a beat as he continues to define impossible and not with a twirl, a drop shoulder, a free kick, a snapshot, and this won't be a shock. No cradles of rock. A poet loves a poet, pretends to be shocked. But I thought it'd be remiss, unfair to let pass, a chance to raise a toast, to simply raise a glass to a man who continues to make the game sing. Long may he reign. Long live the king. Happy birthday, Leo. Yeah, I heard that one before. Yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> yes, it's um, my finest work, though, I think. It is a very yeah, good a poem. Uh, very good poem. It's uh, and the delivery was was lovely, mate. Very nice. Uh, it's not going to do any any favors for us, is it? This uh, this celebration of Messi's birthday, given that we are already called BR Salona and BR Messi at times. But well, uh, it's mad though because when I joined Bleacher Report, uh, we used to get all these things calling us CR Football uh, and BR7. Like all these yeah BR Seven, all these things being like, oh, you just celebrate Cristiano Ronaldo, and now it's the other way around. It's a bit like lads. I think you just missed the point. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you've just completely and utterly missed what we're about here, which is celebrating footballers who are well good at football. And uh, <laughs> weirdly enough, that includes both Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. It does indeed. And when Real Madrid are winning straight Champions Leagues, it was all about them. And when they're not, suddenly it's not. But uh, here we are. Messi's birthday. Happy birthday, dude. Thanks for bringing us all the joy. Yeah. How are you, boys? You well? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Life's got a little bit more normality about it, hasn't it, these days? So um, it feels a little more like what we're used to. And this pod, I mean, we're going back to back to basics here. This is old, old school. It's an old um, school ranks. ranks, yeah. We old are, school uh, ranks, yeah. And we, let's start things off then. That seems like an appropriate time to kick things off uh, with Hot Takes 2.0. And obviously just before the coronavirus prelude, uh, interlude, shall we say, it was we changed how Hot Takes work. So Sam, you're going to start us off with uh, something we might have missed. Yeah, sure. Something... Uh... I'm going to try and balance the scales a little bit because we're going to talk a lot about Barcelona later. So let's go to the other side of the divide, at least initially, and shine the light on, on Real Madrid. And specifically, Karim Benzema. And I would say that right now, since the return of football, so over the last uh, month or so, 
Karen Benzema has been the best number nine in world football. He's the best, full stop. Uh, obviously helped by the fact that Suarez isn't back to sharpness yet and Aguero is, is injured and, and just coming back. And sure, fine. But Lewandowski and Haaland still give him serious competition for this mantle. And rightly, understandably, I've been getting questions on Twitter about Lewandowski's Ballon d'Or candidacy, given he's been so good and Bayern Munich have been so dominant and they've won the league, they've got a cup final to come. And that's fair. Lewandowski is... Is brilliant, and he's he's one part of an excellent attack. Benzema is 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 has been the attack for Real Madrid over the last year or so, and Hazard has started to come into his own. And this partnership is something I'm really excited about. But Benzema does so much for his team; he's so instrumental in the way they attack. No one is getting more out of their number nine right now than Benzema. His three goals since returning. He was key against Abar without scoring, as he often is, even when he doesn't score. He's involved in everything, the way he drifts out to the left, links play, drops in, orchestrates, facilitates. He's so good at that. Incredible against Valencia and scored one of the best goals I've seen in, in years, frankly. It was a goal of the season contender. And he netted against Dad in Sunday's win, which we, we, we can come to in just a moment's time. But the partnership with Hazard, I just wish it was five years younger because they look for each other. It looks symbiotic. They're selfless. They're trying to play each other in. They swap positions and it looks so, so good. And Real Madrid right now are being spearheaded by Benzema. And I don't think he's looked this good in a while. And that's saying something because since Ronaldo left, he's been on an absolute tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, um, he's just so crucial to this whole thing and look for years we've been saying oh you know at some point he's going to fall off at some point they're going to have to replace Benzema and yet he continues to develop so so in in such a high manner he just Mm. keeps going and yeah just what a player Mm, absolutely I mean look we can't talk about Real Madrid without talking about Sunday and Jack I wanted to throw to you on this one, actually, because uh, we had a little chat on WhatsApp, didn't we, uh, on Sunday night, and you seemed the most outraged by what happened. So I thought you'd lead it. No, I, I wasn't outraged. I actually think both of the decisions were right. I just think that on, and I said it on Twitter, I was like, on such small decisions are titles made and uh, won and lost. Uh, and, you know, I think there have been four decisions that have been not questionable, but like at least on the edge of, of could go one way or the other. They feel like they are decisions that, that rest on kind of interpretation rather than this is the cold hard line or facts on these things. So, you know, the, the player being in front of the, the goalkeeper when the shot is taken, you'd be like, is it actually his own player? Or have you ever seen a goalkeeper dive that low when their view is blocked and that early? Didn't feel kind of right. I, I think he is in the way. I think that you, you can't get out of the fact that that there is a player in the in the view line of Courtois and thus he's probably in play. But you've seen goals given very similarly where, where the, the same thing has kind of happened. The arm thing, again, I think it's his shoulder, but you've seen them given the other way. And, and this is all I would say. I'm not outraged at all. I think that I think that both decisions were correct, but it was it just felt like these are the kind of decisions that if they go the other way, you know, titles hang on these kind of things and that's what that was I think was interesting and that's what you know Barcelona fans will say that the decisions are corrupt Real Madrid fans will say that the decisions are right there's no like right or wrong answer it's interpretation of the referee and I just think it's interesting that all four kind of questionable ones have gone the right way and it's good for Real Madrid in terms of they're now you know in the in total control in this title race they win all their games they win the league so if you're a Real Madrid fan you're over the moon I just thought it was it was interesting and, and something I- worth talking about. I really thought that. I thought that was how. I know it's interpretation, it's fine lines, but that that looked more upper arm than shoulder to me for Benzema in the build up to his goal. It, it, it really did. I have to say that one. 
Yeah. Dean, thoughts? Yeah. Well, I'm obviously mainly annoyed because there's a chance that Sam's prediction comes true um, ahead of mine, <laughs> of, of, of Barca win, Lona winning the league. So that, that's all I'm interested in about at this stage. So um, you know, no real allegiance to either side, apart from the fact that I said Barcelona will win the league. I, uh, I, I felt it was a bit unjust, to be honest. I, it, was, it was a hard game to watch in, in, for many reasons, but the outcome just felt very strange and... Um, but that's the way these things go, you know, that, that is football. And um, yep. Madrid getting the rub of the green um, is nothing new. So let's just see whether at any stage in the, in the coming weeks um, they have some bad luck. Let, let's see. I would suggest yeah. that it's not necessarily Real Madrid getting the rub of the green as big teams get the rub of the green against smaller teams 99% mm. of the time. Uh, yeah. And that's just the way that, that things have worked forever. And it's just, you know, it's a simple factor of how, how bias yeah. and interpretation works in the part of the referees. And I don't think there's anything to, you know, to say more than that. I don't think it works for one big team more than another big team. I just think it happens to, to the big teams more than it does to the small teams. Okay, all right, Dean, we'll move it on to you for your hot take, which is something that's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah, well, we need to watch out for Sergino Dest's decision over which club he will play for next season. Now, obviously, he's at Ajax at the moment. It's been an unbelievable breakthrough year for him. Um, a lot has happened. <laughs> um, obviously, makes his breakthrough at Ajax, uh, gets his debut, becomes part of the team, chooses US uh, over the Netherlands. Uh, me saying he made the wrong decision, me getting battered for that. Uh, rightly so. I've got no, it doesn't matter what I think, does it? Um, and then establishing himself even further than that to the point that he's got a clutch of the biggest clubs in the world looking at signing him this summer and Bayern Munich have begun their mission to get him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what he does here, buying the first club to make serious contact um, over getting Dest. I'm told that ideally he would choose Barcelona as his ultimate destination. Um, I'm sure you've seen pictures of Dest wearing Barcelona merchandise before. Um, that's because he adores everything that they stand for and, and all the rest of it, and like so many people do. Um, Barca are interested in him. Um, they've touched base before, to let that be known, but their interest is not concrete like Bayern's is at this stage. And the same goes for PSG, who are interested but haven't yet uh, gone as far as Bayern have. So what should he do here? Does he stay at Ajax? Uh, does he bide his time and wait to see who comes along in a year's time? Don't forget, only one season of, and not even a full season because Eredivisie finished early, of top-level football. Um, it's not a lot. And to make the jump is going to be a gamble whenever he goes. I think he's open-minded about it. But what I'm really intrigued by and what I was chatting briefly with Sam about yesterday is if he decides to go to Bayern Munich, the fact that that team become the fastest team in the land. <laughs> you look at Alfonso Davis on the one flank. You could have Sergino Dest at right back on the other flank. And ahead of them... Kingsley Coman and probably Leroy Sané. Now, <laughs> this is a four by four team. This isn't a football team. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're, actually, they're actually a NASCAR race. <laughs> yeah. That in its own, just to watch the training sessions and the sprint sessions, is going to be worth it for them to sign him. Yeah, but, that's um, why even bringing Serge Nabry into things. Um, I'd like to take your your thoughts yeah. on this, Sam, because. If Bayern are, you know, that, that interest is concrete and, and they're looking at bringing in a right back, they already have Pavard who can play right back or centre back. He's a little bit more defensively minded, I suppose, than Dest is. 
But does that mean that Joshua Kimmich is just being seen as a six going forward? Is, it, is this the end of us seeing Joshua Kimmich a right back? Because I would stand it up right now that I still think Joshua Kimmich is one of the best right backs in the world. Yeah, I think I think if you uh, if you put him back into right back and gave him three games, I think he would emerge as the best best right back in the world. I mean, he was the best right back in the world when he was when he was the right back, and I think that changes. Um, I guess the fact that they loaned Odriozola in January was a, was probably a clue as to where they saw Kimmich's future. Uh, so where Hansi Flick saw Kimmich's future. I think loaning Odriozola and playing Pavard at right-back meant that they'd, they'd got an appropriate amount of options so that Kimmich wouldn't have to play right-back unless it was really desperate. I think that tells you everything you need to know. I think they see him as their number six. And what a number six he is, because he also happens to be one of the best central midfielders in the world. So it's worked really well for him in central midfield and Bayern are brilliant in the middle as a result of, of, of him anchoring that, that midfield. So yeah, I would say this is probably fair enough. Pick up another right back. Don't turn Odrio Zola into a permanent transfer, but pick someone else up. And Dest is a totally different profile to Pavard, as you say. It gives them a nice diversity of options there because Pavard is more attacking than his frame and his, and his style uh, yeah. probably gives you a, a clue for. Like His crossing is actually really good. It's one of Lewandowski's greatest feeders of chances. But Dest is, is obviously much quicker and much more direct in attacking. Less stable defensively, but not bad there. So gives you a totally different option. It's like having Fulon Mendy and Marcelo and how Zinedine Zidane has been rotating his left-backs based on the opposition. So you play against Abar, you play Marcelo. You come up against Valencia, against Ferran Torres, you play Mondi, right? That's what you do. So you get that option. You get to, you get to change what you want based on the opposition. It's such a strong thing to have. It's the sort of thing Bayern Munich should have. And I think Dest probably would make the right decision in going to Bayern because there wouldn't be any expectation on him early on, you know? He wouldn't have to come in and revolutionize the right back role he, he could take a, cu- a few months to get to to get to grips with it and it would be fine they don't yeah. need him right now but he would eventually strengthen them okay all right let's move things on to something that i've loved for the weekend and what i'm going to do is do a quick fire premier league trio for this um and the first of which is neil morpay's post-match comments against yes. arsenal yeah uh, which i absolutely loved Look, every player in the world comes out and says yeah, the three points are the most important thing. You know, it was good to get the goal, but the main thing is the team moves away from relegate. Not Neil Morpé. Neil Morpé <laughs> was, there, was there like, I hate Gwen Doozy. Like, um, I think my favourite part of, of his interview was there, he was like, there was one player giving me lip all game. I'm not going to name him, but he was a French midfielder. <laughs> like, like, all right, Neil. Like, and, and apparently the whole thing is another one of those um, stories that we heard from, from, from your friends, Dean. It was about money on the pitch. And uh, apparently it was just like, I'm going to earn more than, than you will ever earn. And currently Neil Morpay earns more than Matteo Guendouzi, which, uh, which is more amusing than anything. But yeah, it was just the way that he came out and was like, yeah, I, I don't care. They need to learn some humility. And I went up to them and told them so, um, which I thought was excellent. On a slightly more serious note, uh, and another post-match interview, I thought Ben Mee's uh, post-match interview after Burnley Man City yesterday was absolutely exceptional. Um, it was obviously the, the banner that flew over the, the stadium saying White Lives Matter um, from the Burnley fans, which is, well, not from Burnley fans, from a very small minority uh, of, of Burnley fans, it must be said. But, uh, you know, enough to, to crowdfund a plane banner. So uh, there's something there. And Ben Mee's statement in response about what is, you know, what is being anti the club stands for, about they've missed the whole point, about the, you know, coming into the 21st century, I just thought was unbelievably well handled. And, and Ben Mee didn't have to come out and say anything in fact he was the one who directed the conference he said before we talk about football before we talk about any of that I need to address this uh, and I just thought it was real sort of leadership real um, 
it was very calm, very eloquent, but yet very passionate about it being anti everything that everyone is trying to do. And I thought that was um, really, really nice in general. Right. Let's move things on to the main segment of this podcast. And we'll be back after the break. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it's time for our main ranking. It feels good to say that again. And we are celebrating the birthday boy, Leo Messi, 33 years old, which makes him the same age as Dean Jones and the same height as me. And that means that the only person that can lead this ranking is Sam Tai. <laughs> only, half of that. only half of that was true. And I'll let you guys, uh, the audience, figure out which half of it was true. Although I do think it's quite obvious. But uh, yeah, to celebrate Leo Messi's uh, 33rd birthday, I've gone with top five messy moments. Felt kind of natural to do that, I guess. Uh, good timing for it. And always any excuse to take a look back at this little man's remarkable career and remarkable uh, array of moments that he's got uh, I'll take it I'll absolutely take it so narrowing it down to a top five was difficult because he's produced so many but uh, I'll kick off with that goal against Madrid in number five and that doesn't narrow it down does it I need to give you more information yes because there have been quite a few of those goals against Real Madrid so this one is 2011 Champions League semi-final at the Bernabeu so about a year before he comes into his absolute prime and peak although Certainly some of the best Messi we've ever seen. It's quite late on in a Champions League semi-final away to the bitter rivals Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. You've got Sergio Ramos, Marcelo, Lasana Diara. You've got Ica Casillas in goal. This is a, a, a star-studded uh, team, as, as it always is. And Busquets just kind of lays the ball off to Messi quite close to the halfway line. Sort of pirouettes and just feeds it into his path. And Messi starts running in from behind him. And he just... At that point, he's at least 20 miles per hour, seemingly, for the entire run and just dribbles through an entire team and scores. And I don't really know how it happens. It happens so fast. And Casillas' face at the end is like all of our faces. He just turns around and goes like, what, what the hell just happened? He beats five players, two entire lines, an entire midfield line and an entire defensive line. Takes it round Ramos, puts it past Marcelo and then scores with his right foot, his weak foot. He beat half a team. And... Honestly, this isn't actually that irregular. Uh, something like that I figured out as I was watching through the compilations of his, of his best goals and his best runs. Like These solo goals of Messi's are, are quite normal, I guess, is probably the word to say. But it's about the occasion as well. And this is a theme that's going to run through, through the ranking. Uh, you know, there are 50 or, 50 or 60 goals of Messi's that were just jaw-dropping. But quite a lot of them, and the ones that I've tended to pick, have come at the most crucial and pivotal times in the most important of matches. And away at the Bernabeu, Champions League semi-final, to just blitz through an entire team from start to finish. That is just incredible. And this one, I think this is the first goal that I saw of his that I was like, oh my God. Like there was one against Hatafe early on in his career that really, that really brought him into the spotlight. But that's Hatafe, no disrespect to them. And they were a lot worse back then than they are now. This was Madrid. This was Ramos and Casillas. How is this yeah. possible? Yeah. Is, I remember yeah. watching this and being like, wow, that just happened. And, I, and then I sort of thinking about it again and being like, hang on, that just happened. Like, it was almost one of those moments where you look back at it now, I think, and you think, well, yeah, obviously. But like, at the time, Messi was still, yes, of course, he was still already one of the best players in the world. But this is still quite early on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, not, it's not like it is now where if Messi does something magic, you kind of go, what's Leo and Messi? What do you expect? But, but at the point, you were like, he's just walked through the entire Madrid team by himself and I think it was this point where you started to go oh wow he's not just special he's really special mm, yeah. and, and it was one of those kind of I think not breakthrough moments but like a lot of people's eyes opened with this one which was like a, oh wow we, we've got something on our hands here I think he was he kind of looked like in even in like the minutes leading up to the goal that he scored in that game 
it was like he was looking to make something happen. And it was it was one of those moments where it wasn't just going to be the team were going to make something happen. It seemed like he had this uh, drive inside him that he was going to do something special. And he tried a couple of runs that just hadn't come off. And then as he tried to get on the ball more and more, he just starts going past Madrid defenders like they're traffic cones. And there was just only one place the ball was ending up in the end. And as you say, like at the time, we thought, what a marvellous one-off effort. It has become just the most regular thing. Yeah. And that's the most dangerous thing about Messi's style of goals is that we've become so expectant of them. And it's almost impossible sometimes when he collects the ball to even think of going for goal. Some of the positions, and I'm sure we'll talk about a couple of similar uh, instances in the rest of this chat, of where he picks up the ball. Scoring a goal shouldn't even be on his mind. He should be thinking about how to build play from there, but then stands there, has a quick glance, shifts his body one way, takes the ball the other, and off he goes. And there is just no stopping him, as Madrid found out that day. What really struck me about this one in particular was um, was the, the speed at which he was going the entire time. So because Busquets lays the ball into his path, Messi doesn't start from a standing start, which is where a lot of his long dribbles and solo goals start. He starts, or he's already going, right? He's already at speed and he takes the ball. And as he usually does, it's his lots of little touches um, and it's his exceptional close control at a high speed. And the reason Real Madrid can't get near him is because he's already going quicker than they can get to. And the whole goal takes place with him at top speed. And to be able to take it round five players and score with your weak foot at top speed is a joke. Like, it's, it's, it, it separates this goal from a lot of the other solo goals because of the speed that he was at the entire time. It's just yeah. like humans can't do that or they shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, it was a double Ballon d'Or winner at this point. He, he'd, they'd won the Champions League in, in 2006 and he hadn't really been a massive part of that. And then they won it again in 2009 where he was the star man, but he was a star man in what was, and we talked about in a recent podcast, an incredible, incredible team that felt like such a unit. You know, it felt like the whole thing was, was based around so many different parts and, and Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets and all of the players around him were equally kind of key cogs in the system. He was just the one that shone brightest. I think at this point, you were like, oh, he could do it himself if he wanted to. At this point, he just hasn't, you know, he hasn't needed to at this point, but he can. He can mm. just do it himself. And I think it was the point where he went from being a double Ballon d'Or winner and you were like, this bloke is the best player in the world to being like, this bloke is an alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's for sure. He's the best player ever. Yeah, well, we'll move it on to uh, number four in the ranking and it's uh, that goal against Athletic Club Bilbao. So this one doesn't need as much explaining because there have been, a, there have been some really good ones against Athletic Club, but uh, the one in particular, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. This is in 2015. It's in the Copa del Rey final. He is he receives the ball from Dani Alves. He's about five yards into Athletic's half. He's pinned against the right-hand touchline. There are three opponents, opponent, opposing players in front of him. He's boxed in. Like, the smart thing to do is to try and dribble backwards a bit and maybe try and find PK at centre-back or maybe even play it all the way back to his goalkeeper. Instead, he beats all three players, runs past them all, manages to wriggle out of this situation where he is genuinely penned in against the touchline. Then another one circles back. Another one of those players circles back to try and to try and beat, uh, to try and tackle him. So he beats him again. Then he ends up in the box. He cuts in and beats another one. And then he takes a shot, which is so early, considering the stage of motion that he's in that he sneaks in at the, at the near post. And it genuinely left me speechless. I think this one won the, the Puskas Award, and fair enough. I, I think I can understand that one. 
But again, it was uh, a total of five players beaten, although one of them was the same one again, which makes it even worse, to be fair. It's that uh, standard kind of powerful, slightly curled but powerful left-footed finish in at the near post, which he loves because he takes it on so early and goalkeepers can't get down to it. But more than anything, this is the very start of that move. You wind it all back and it's like, he's on his halfway line. He's boxed in by three. How has this possibly happened? And the centre-backs are asking the exact same question when they come face-to-face with him as he puts it in the net. How the hell have you let this happen? Yeah. It's the sheer audacity yeah. of this, I think, which is the, the, the kind of main thing. You're like, nobody else in the world tries this, mm. apart from maybe like Hatem Ben Arthur. Like, it is, yeah, <laughs> like there, is, there is nobody else who you go, yeah, he'll probably wander through there. And I think this is the thing, like Messi in full flight. And his role has changed as, as the years have gone down. You know, we don't necessarily see him do this so much anymore. Um, but... It was just the way that he just sort of looked up, saw the three players around him and went, come on then. Uh, I think that was the, the kind of moment for that. You know, the finish, is, the finish is brilliant. We've seen that finish before. But it is, as you say, Sam, the, the opening gambit of this move, the point where he gets the ball and you're like, well, obviously he's going to go backwards and he just doesn't. And you're like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. just almost, there, there's, there's so little to say, but so much to say in the same, in the same kind of moment. I think it's Rakitic that makes a little run, which seems like it's nothing really. He runs away from the space and runs backwards a little bit, which which does help him out. But I don't think even Rakitic in that movement realised what he was doing. I think he was just like, oh, he might need some help. I, I might find a different angle for him here. Not expecting that Messi has spotted a gap which does not exist to take on the entire Athletic Club team. I think they had nine players behind the ball at the point in which he actually picks the ball up. Um, I know he goes past five. But I think he actually they had nine behind the ball and, and still couldn't get across to cover. The thing he, about the, the athletic side as well is that, like, I mean, if this happened in 2020 and you look at the current athletic side, which are you know, they, they're kind of they're pretty average, like they're hard to beat, but they're they're pretty workmanlike and they're not great. Athletic were actually quite a lot better than this in 2015. This was an athletic side who, over the years before that, had played out some really tight games with Barcelona, had managed to prevent them from winning a few times. Marcelo Bielsa had been in charge, and I think it was Ernesto Valverde at the time. They'd both come up with strategies to really stifle Barcelona and really stop them from playing the way they wanted to. And going into that cup final, it was a case of like, well, yeah, obviously Barca are uh, favourites, but Athletic could, like, could win this game because they are one of the teams, one of the very few teams that have shown the propensity to be able to stop Barca in full flow. And that might just be why Messi was like, well, I'm just going to take them all on then. Because that may have been, that may have been the case that you know, throughout that game or throughout the previous games, Barca had found it quite difficult against this particular opponent. And that's what, I guess, what makes Messi, what Messi did just even more spectacular in my mind is that this was a team that regularly stifled Barca. And then he did that in reply. Yeah, I mean, look, there's something about this that reminds me. You know, there's, a, there's that old chess adage where people say you're thinking three moves in front of the one you're doing right now. It's almost like in Messi's head as he's facing up those players, he's like, well, if I shift the ball left, then the gap will open up there between those two players on my right, which means I can duck back inside, weave through <laughs> it, and find... It's almost like he's thinking three steps in front of everybody else. And I think that's what makes this so incredible. It's like no one else has the kind of capacity even to fathom what he's about to do. Like there is no one in the world who you'd go, oh yeah, that's how I'll work my way out of these things in the split second he has to make that decision. Mm. And it just kind of goes to show it's those moments that you just go like, how? Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. I think I imagine that's so much of this, like this ranking is those moments that just make you sit up and go, well, that's impossible. 
Yeah, mm. absolutely. I'll, I'll move it on to number three, uh, and this one is a, it's a it's a very specific moment. It is the destruction of Jerome Bertang. Sorry, Jerome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this but this is truly truly spectacular. I reckon I've watched this one over a hundred times, um, and not just the whole clip as well, but all of the memes that came out and all of the gifts and you know all sorts of stuff. But uh, in this, this is another semi final, Champions League, Bayern versus Barcelona. It's actually Pep versus Messi uh, in two thousand and fifteen. And Messi had already scored a goal in this game. Uh, he'd scored three minutes before. So he'd, he'd cut in from the, from the right-hand side. Danny Alves had given him the ball and he slammed it into the near corner. So this is ultimately just taking the piss at this point because he's already won up away from home against Bayern in the semi-final. And uh, somehow he gets down the right side again and somehow he's one-on-one with Jerome Boateng. So Boateng is with him. And at a certain stage in this move, Boateng is, is in about as good a position as you can be in, considering that you are one-on-one with Messi, which is an absolutely terrible position to be in. He's, his body shape is pretty good. He's got him in a position where, okay, if he tries to cut inside, I can move my body, I can move my hips over. And then in the blink of an eye, Boateng has disappeared. He is gone. He's on the floor and he's fallen in the stiffest, most like ironing board way. Like he doesn't, he's, he's been rendered not an athlete. He's been rendered yeah. a carcass. Like it's like he's been hit with like a stupefy spell in Harry Potter. It looks ridiculous. And that's part of this moment is how stupid he looks, Boateng look, and how, how immobile and unathletic he makes one of the best center backs in the world, a World Cup winner look. And I say, I've watched this hundreds of times. I still can't really figure out how he gets himself into such a bad position because, you see, Messi, what he does so well, as we've talked about, is he takes lots of little touches on the ball. His dribbling style is not elaborate. It's not really that deceptive. It's not, uh, there's no wasted energy. There are very few stepovers. He's not like Ronaldo or Vinicius Jr. or Hatton Ben Arfa, who all have their different styles of, you know, slaloming or... Uh, you know, stepovers or just pure, like, powerful touches that Ben Arthur takes. Messi just takes lots of little touches and he interprets and he reacts to defenders' changes of body position. And with Bertang, Bertang knows he wants to cut inside, so he positions himself in order to do so. When Messi does, Bertang swivels his hips to the inside and Messi then takes it the other way immediately. And Bertang tries to recorrect, I think, his hips and just goes down, down, yeah. like, like an amateur defender. Like, it's really bad. And obviously, Bertang is has made a joke of this uh, over the last year or so because it was, it's about five years on. So it was like a half, half a decade on, bit of an anniversary. And he tweeted like, yeah, guys, all right, come on, seriously now. Mm-hmm. But this is, we're not even done with this moment because he goes on and he chips, Met, uh, chips Neuer. Um, he chips the best goalkeeper in the world. And with his right foot, again, it's like, it just, it just carries on and on. Uh, this, is, this is a moment for me that is, it ranks higher than the two goals we've talked about before. Um, I think because some of the some of the shock factor because of what he did to one of the world's best defenders, but also because it lives longest in my memory because of all of the gifts and the and and the and the stupid videos that came out. You know where Boateng literally falls down a hole in one of the edits of the video and things like that, and it it just made me laugh so much. But this is a, a phenomenal display of of change of direction and, and subtle brilliance from Messi, and then to cap it off with a chip of the best goal, goalkeeper in the world. And the last image you get is Rafinha swiping at the ball on the line to try and get rid of it, and he can't reach it, and he ends up in the back of the net as well. It's hilarious, honestly. Yeah, it's like a comedy of errors, but there's yeah. actually not really any errors. No, which is just, the, the best like, bit of it. Yeah, it's three elite players trying to do what they can to stop someone else, and they just can't physically can't. This is the thing, and I, like you touched on it there, but Boateng doesn't really do anything wrong. Like he, he, there's nothing 
that you look at with, with how Berteng sets himself up, the way that he had reacts to the first shift of the ball from Messi, and you think there's no much, there's no more that a fender can do there. You you can't you can't criticize Boateng's actual you know steps to try and remedy the situation. It's just the ball is moved and shifted so fast in so many different directions that it becomes impossible to like almost like contort yourself to actually deal with it, and that's why he falls over. And yeah. and yes, and I do like how Boateng started to to react to this. And there's always the the response of like, yeah, but who's got a World Cup medal and all of these things. But mm. I remember the first time I watched this, and I was at university, and we were all in the bar watching watching the game, and everyone just sort of like like heads heads in hands, like couldn't couldn't believe what was going on. And again, it's just you know the the kind of the nonchalance with which he absolutely destroys three world-class athletes who are trying to stop him and and you're just a bit like well can anyone do anything when he decides to do that it, it's just one of those kind of when that, that switch is flicked there's just nothing that anybody can do that's what I, I love the most about him the ability to to trick the very best defenders into thinking they can handle him and I think that was the case with Bayern on, on that occasion they they thought they were doing a, a decent job of of like dealing with Messi at uh, the problem was Messi just hadn't decided to do what he planned to do yet. And in the space of four minutes, delivers two killer blows and it's bang, good night. I mean, Neuer had actually been quite confident about facing him that night and uh, it just made him like a fool, didn't it? Well, it was Pep, uh, wasn't it? It was it's Pep, like Pep, yeah. was, Pep was the one who was like, right, I'm going to have to, I, I've, I've created this monster in some ways. I've got, yeah. to, I've got to find a way of shutting him down. And you kind of expected Pep's game plan yeah. and it worked for a while. And you were like, oh, it's Pep's being able to shut my... And then he was just like, ha, ha, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> my point on the, on the falling over things, I understand why he fell over. What I don't understand is why he, his feet stopped moving and he he just went bang like usually you would stumble or something there like you would end up sort of going head over heels kind of stumbling as you tried to move he just disappeared mm. yes, Dylan does that sometimes point. though Dylan sometimes falls over like he did so maybe Beretang was just pretending to be a two-year-old for the day I don't know I honestly think that it's a genuine the level I would say is that I think it's so fast that like his body can't react quick enough in that like his the kind of the, the hip rotation is is gone, and he's on the floor before his feet can even catch up. I, I genuinely think that's where it is. It's to the point where the ball is moved so quickly that Berteng's body like simply cannot. Con- also, bear in mind Berteng's a lot bigger than Messi. Like yeah. Messi is the one one in control of the ball, but two, he's much closer to the ground, much closer, much lower center of gravity. And Berteng trying to adjust his body to kind of deal with that is is a lot more difficult a task you should know sam it's no, like when i, I twist you it's like when i twist you like a like a pineapple <laughs> in private side <laughs> i don't remember any of those uh, oh, I've, me- I've seen them messi's never beaten me one-on-one <laughs> i have though usually i just foul jack when he goes past me to be fair yeah he's got a bit of a temper jack in private side and when he gets fouled too much he uh he doesn't react very well to it so he's the best best thing to do we'll move to number two um this is when he <laughs> scored a 90 second minute winner in a classico at the Bernabeu and took his shirt off and raised it to the crowd with his name and number on the back. And this is, uh, you know, it's a less impressive goal than the three that we've that we've picked out so far. But this stunned me. And there are a couple of reasons why. First of all, it's the 92nd minute in a Clasico. You're away from home. Who steps up in the big moment? As usual, it's Messi. And Real Madrid were the ones that were pushing for that winner. They had the ball in Barca's box in those last few minutes. And this was a very, very good 
Barcelona side with with Neymar and Messi in it. And Barca actually end up on the counter-attack in this scenario in the 92nd minute. The ball goes over to the left. Neymar, I think he then plays in Alba. And there's a connection that we know very well, Alba to Messi. Alba plays it inside, probably about 16 yards out, and he just curls it first time into the corner. Nothing you can do. So, first of all, the moment. 92nd minute, Classico, Bernabeu, pulls that out. Ice cool. Secondly, the celebration is so out of character. Messi is such a withdrawn figure and his celebrations are always very similar. He points to, to the sky with both hands. Sometimes he sucks his thumb. It's never elaborate. It's never in your face. He never, he doesn't really provoke. Uh, he doesn't agitate. He just gets on with his job. He's, he's like a, he's like a sort of a quiet assassin in that, in that kind of way. And then on this one occasion, in 2017, he thought, you know what? I'm the king of this place. This is my area. And he takes his shirt off and just shows it to the crowd. And again, it sparks a load of memes. It sparks a load of, you know, like doctored images of Messi hanging his washing up on the line. Sparks a load like of that. copycats. It did, yeah. Because Ronaldo did it back to him a few months later. And then Memphis did it. And then Memphis did it. So, you know, imitation, flattery, that sort of thing. But this celebration was so out of character. And also, it completely overshadowed the fact that it was his 500th goal for Barcelona. We all forgot about that, which is yeah. one hell of a landmark for any player to achieve. Even Messi, that is remarkable. And yet, that is not what's spoken about about that goal. There's two other things at play. It's the moment. It's the clutch nature of it. And it's the celebration which just changed Messi's persona. Yeah. Because this is after yeah. it was was it post emo phase? Oh, it was in the middle of it, I think, mate. It, it <laughs> yeah, was just it was, his leg tattoo was half done, bright blonde. You yeah. know, we, we all had we all had fun during the messy emo phase. But it was um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It did feel out of character. The point to the sky celebration, I believe, is in honor of his grandma, um, who passed away when he was young, uh, and so that's part of. Uh, it's kind of part of his folklore, isn't it? it will always be it will always be that. Yeah. And, and I think that you know, it's almost like for me that feels. Like to the same point as like the Shearer hand to sky or, or the Robbie Keane uh, roly polies and, and and guns. It was it, it is one of those ones that is like so iconic with one man. And actually, until Ronaldo decided to do his sort of run and jump and and see, he he really didn't have like a celebration. He had lots of different things that he did. And I think that there's something about those players who you know exactly how they're going to celebrate every time that that I really like. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think. I think you're, you've done the goal a, a slight disservice there, Sam. It's, it's an unbelievable goal. You know, the way he, he just kept running and all of it, the 500th goal and, and, and then, yeah, the, the celebration out of character. But that's what they say, isn't it? They, the bird of has become Leo's playground. Uh, and he, he does like scoring goals there. And it just that little subtle like, kind of almost sarcastic reminder to the crowd. He was like, by the way... I'm still here. Yeah, and I'm I still, think it, uh, it was like he was. He was like, "This is my name. Like, you don't have to like me, but you need to know who I am, and you have to start taking me seriously at some point because I am here on your turf, and I am making a mockery of you." He he lapped that moment up, and I was really pleased to see it because I, you know we don't see much of an ego in Messi, and it has to be there. You can't be that good without having some sort of ego. Um, you have to. And he showed it. And I think that there are very few times when Ronaldo comparisons are made and, and he bites or shows that he's phased by it. But I think on that night, he just wanted to remind everyone. Um, you see it if you go watch it, back and watch the moments after that. But they keep cutting to Ronaldo and his face. He's so annoyed, Ronaldo, <laughs> that this has happened. <laughs> and it makes the whole clip even better. I mean, any fan that doesn't support real 
Real Madrid will just watch this clip and just you'll probably smile for about 10 minutes afterwards because you just feel so happy for him in that moment and it is an iconic moment in football alright do you want to move on to number one I do when you yeah, tell me yeah. I feel like cheating here but I just couldn't really get away from it um, and it's mm. the 91 goals in a single calendar year which is just a long just moment absolutely ridiculous it's a, it's a hell of a long moment I mean it is yeah I mean if you want to if you want to sort of pull me up on it a little bit I'd say okay the 91st goal of that year which essentially sealed that legacy and by the way it was a hell of a goal it was uh, Real Valladolid beat three players nutmeg one of them and slammed it home so uh, basically just par for the course with Messi but that's that's what it was like all year wasn't it well 90 other occasions he did pretty much that but the previous record was held by Gerd Müller for like 40 years or something like that it was 81 goals so 81 goals in a calendar year is quite the achievement to beat the record. quite the achievement. 81 goals in a calendar year is absolutely nuts. <laughs> no, I know. It really is. It's absolutely insane. And then not only to beat the record, but to beat it by 10 is an absolute joke. And it's been a while since this happened, obviously. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of almost the, the memories of it fade and the brilliance of it fades. And I just had a look back at the calendar year stats for Messi and for Ronaldo just to see, like, just to remind myself, like, how out on its own it is. And we've seen other, most other calendar years, Messi and Ronaldo get somewhere between 50, an average of 55 to 60 goals per year, which is unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. There was one year, I think it was 2015, but I'm not sure, Ronaldo got 69 in all competitions. That's the closest either of, either of them have got to the record of 91. So there's still more than 20 away, right, from this record. And 69 goals is so many goals. So what does that make 91? It's just... I feel like we don't I feel like we don't give it enough respect or we, we forget about it too easily or we just put it up there and go, Yeah, that happened, whatever, move on. We're never getting anywhere close to that again. Yeah, I mean, at some point, someone will will, will, will crack on and, and score an absurd amount of goals in a year. 91, but you know, people said that about, about Müller's record. People were like, well, no one will ever get near that ever again. That was, that was how it was. And, you know, we talked about that record as if it was as unreal. But, you know, it is one of those things that you just see like, I might not see this beaten in my lifetime which is mental. That, yeah. that in itself is insane. You know, people said that about Muller's record and there will be people who were like, I never, who never saw that beaten because of, you know, the era in which they live. There is a point here where we could say people might not ever, ever beat that in our lifetime and that in itself is insane. It's just unbelievable and I, I was looking actually to see like how current players might compare and Mbappe scored for PSG um, 90 goals over the past three seasons. So if you add in these French goals, it's probably like a, it's about another 15 or so on top of that, I think. Um, so he's taken that long. If you look at Harry Kane over, over the, a spell when he was playing a couple of years ago without injury, he scored about 45 for club and country over, over like a calendar year. So it's about half, maybe just over that, maybe 50. So you're looking at other players of like at the very top of the game and how they compare to Messi. They're not even close, not even close. And, you know, maybe Mbappe could achieve that kind of thing at some point. Maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there's anybody else, though, that is going to get anywhere close to 91 in a year. Mbappe 50 goals in a, se- in a year is insane. That's unbelievable yeah. numbers. Like, yeah. you're looking at 50 goals in a year and you're thinking, top player in the world. Like, and it was nearly <laughs> doubled. This, it's like, it's unearthly, these kind of yeah. things. They're not, they're not supposed to happen yeah it's crazy man 
Yeah. But yeah. that was when he, you know, that was probably um what year was it? 2012. 2012. Yeah. Was that that you know, this is what's crazy about it. You watch him now, and yeah, he's brilliant. But it was as eight years ago he was doing that. And he's it's like yeah. How is he still at the level he is now when eight years ago he was running rings around people like he was? And to be 33 and still being pretty much untouchable, I know right now he's probably not quite the peak of his power and he's still trying to like work his way to the messy that we all recognise um, just on the back of lockdown and the break and stuff. But there are still times and you're just like, ah, oh, no one can, no one's in the same wavelength as this man. And what age does that begin to fade? Because I, I don't think that it is fading. You know, even if I'm suggesting that it's not there right this second, it's still inside him. And we're going to see probably by the end of the season being out, Messi at his best again. Um, so, you know, 34 like, over the next year, uh, there's no sign of that slowing down. In 2007, I mean, Messi came third in the Ballon d'Or. It's 2020. <laughs> and he's still going to be in the top three in the Ballon d'Or. That's 14 years. Yeah. That's insane. No one plays at the very top level for 14 years. No one does anything for 14 years. I mean, look, he has changed as a player a little bit. Uh, he's not as... Those, those driving solo runs are less and less, or at least he does them, but they don't, they don't go on for quite as long. They're not 40 yards long. He doesn't beat three or four players and score quite as often as he used to. He's, he's more about the little burst and maybe beat one or two and maybe lay it off to Alba, who then gives it in back, and then he scores. Like, he brings more people into the game now. He does less on his own. Uh, that's probably a physical limitation more than anything else because right now Barca need him to do it on his own more than they ever did. Um, he's not infallible and he's not invincible. And Dean, I don't know when it slows down, but he's already adapting his game um, to, to what he can and can't do at this point. 33 isn't, isn't super old or anything like that, although he has been playing. He's played a lot of games, boys. Like this is, 33 doesn't sound like a lot, but you know how Rooney dropped off a cliff quite early? because of the sheer number of games he's been playing since he was 16 years of age. I sincerely hope it doesn't happen to Messi, but he is managing that decline, I think, a little bit better than Rooney, Rooney did. Uh, but it's well, going to yeah. happen at some point. Uh, and it might happen a little bit earlier than we think because of that, yeah. because of the games. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it will be a sad day when it does, uh, it is, is the cold and hard truth of it. But we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I don't think he's on the, uh, the verge of fully slowing down anytime oh, no. yet. So uh, I reckon we've got a couple of seasons of... Next Messi season, we're getting out there, lads. We're going to watch him next season. We, we are indeed. We have to. Yeah, For sure, 100%. Right, after the break, I'm delighted to announce the return of Bleacher Roulette, uh, which hasn't been around for a long time. But we are answering some of your questions. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. See you in a bit. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it's time for the return of Roulette and the one you've all been waiting for. Sometimes nonsense rankings back in the building where we'll be back. But let's get the Roulette wheel spinning again. Let's go. All right, first one. And we are moving from Messi to Cristiano Ronaldo. Does Ronaldo need to stop being the fifth penalty taker? We saw him in the Coppa Italia final not take a penalty uh, because Napoli already wrapped it up before he got the chance to shoot from the spot. Dean, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, I start to annoy me now. What is it, the third time that, that this has happened? Yeah. It's the third time um, it's maybe cost them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's happened them, yeah. before. It's happened, it's... obviously, before, but yeah. It's starting to become a thing now and it's not really okay that you're getting knocked out of tournaments before someone's taken a penalty uh, of Ronaldo's stature. It's something... I understand the dilemma that you're in because you do want a very good penalty taker to be fifth. 
but you also need a very good penalty taker to be second because ultimately you've got to score your penalties. Um, and so I, I definitely think that there is an argument for, for Ronaldo next time around, not waiting until fifth. And to be honest, I do wonder if even he's starting to get fed up of not taking them at this point because he must be kicking himself after when he hasn't even had the opportunity to step up. Like that, Surely that annoys him more than the fact that he hasn't grabbed the glory, the fact that his team is out. So, yeah, I think it is a problem and I think he does need to stop becoming the fifth penalty token. Sam? Yeah, pretty much everything Dean said. I find it odd. I I think it's an ego thing. I think he wants to be the man that brings it home. And I do agree that you do need a man with nerves of steel to take the fifth and final penalty. But you've got to get to the fifth penalty, mate. And on three different occasions now, at least, his team have not managed to do that partially because he wasn't there to take one and score one early on. So I think an adjustment is needed. It can't be all about you. Okie dokie. Uh, let's spin it again. Ooh, good question. Which league is the best slash easiest to watch without fans? Uh, I'm going to go to you first here, Sam. I think from what I've seen, I haven't seen much of Serie A, actually. Obviously, it's only just come back. Um, I think it's probably La Liga. I think I've enjoyed La Liga the most. I've really enjoyed the Bundesliga, uh, to be honest. So it's a, it's a bit of a top two for me there, and it, it's pick each, pick each one. But La Liga seems to have got its rhythm back really, really quickly, really fast. And the technical quality on show is really strong. So it kind of takes you out of that kind of, oh my God, what's going on? There's no crowd, whatever. And I think maybe it's just a product of the, the, the sort of production we've got as well on La Liga TV here in England, where they've done a really good job with the, the CGI stuff and making it a little bit more of a picture. But yeah, I think that the technical quality and tactical quality of La Liga is shining even brighter because there's nothing else to draw your eye. So I'd go with Spain. Dean? Yeah, I actually agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely laggy as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's almost not any different, to be honest. Like, apart from the flashes that we see of when the crowd disappears for a few seconds and then the CGI comes back again, which is a bit weird. But whatever, I can take that. The, the game and the, and the fan experience is pretty good. Um, so rather than go on about that again, I'm going to talk about the fact that I think the Premier League is the worst. Oh, I God, think the yeah. Premier League has been by quite a distance the worst. But you just think it's just a slow start? No, I think that it's. I think that the the games have been poor. I think the speed of the games has been really poor. I think that the whole experience just it does feel like you're watching reserve team football. Um, it just feels like you've stumbled across a really good reserve team match, and it's really hard. To, I found the Premier League really hard to take seriously. It doesn't feel anything like competitive football to me, and I didn't have that same problem watching um, Bundesliga. Or La Liga. Um, Coppa Italia, I thought, was really poor, but obviously that makes sense because it was a one off game they were just thrown back into. And we'll have to see Serie A over the next, you know, we're already just seeing the first flashes of it. But um, yeah, for, for me, Premier League has, has been really, really a bit of a letdown. I really enjoyed Serie A this weekend. Oh, sorry, I got yeah. No, I'm really, I'm with you, Dean. I really, ha- I've really hated the, watching the Premier League so far, and I've been gravitating back towards La Liga. Even, Same. even, even in cases like, for example, on Monday night when when Manchester City are playing Burnley. All right, it's not an exact time clash because they're an hour apart, but I really want to watch Granada 
play against Leganes. Oh, and not just, not just because I support Granada, but because like the product is better. Like it, it just is. And the, the Merseyside derby, I find it hilarious that it's the most watched game in UK history because it was awful. Sheffield so United bad. Aston Villa was awful. Arsenal Brighton wasn't good. Like. Uh, the only one I've enjoyed was Southampton Norwich, uh, and that was because it was like actually quite lively. But yeah, it was a good game. man, they've been uh, they've really struggled with the product so far. I hope it is just a slow start because it's technically my job to watch Premier League football. Right now, I ain't enjoying it. Uh, mm. you know what? I, I I slightly disagree with you. I think you're right in that there have been some desperate games, and and geez, the Merseyside derby was it was a tough watch, and you're absolutely right. But I, I thought Burnley City last night was was reasonably exciting I, you know I like watching City play they play nice football um, but that, you know also I, we, we commentated Sam on, on Arsenal versus Man City and I, I thought that was a, a relatively enjoyable game as well um, Tottenham United's first half was slow but I thought the second half was a pretty good experience and, and the other thing I would say is that I thought it was going to be a lot worse without crowds you know I've watched you know the banners being up at uh, the bottom bit, and you seeing that makes it just feel a bit more like you know, like the Olympics, where the fans just sit above. Like the, the, it just feels a bit like there isn't. There's just the banners at the bottom, and you just can't see the fans. You kind of forget about it occasionally. I'm not wild on crowd noise, but I, I don't really mind. Uh, it's They've kind done of, really badly with the crowd noise as well, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I thought Serie A started quite well. Um, so that's my that's my take on it. I watched a couple of Serie A games this weekend. Um. Uh, Fiorentina started fast. They drew in the end, but it was um, it was it was quite an exciting game. Uh, and Atalanta uh, were just unbelievably fun to watch as usual. So it looked like they hadn't had a break. They came straight out of the traps. So they three 0 up after about thirty minutes. So yeah, it was um, yeah. I, I thought Serie A was enjoyable. I'm excited. And and yeah, I, I don't think I mean, there have been bad games. And I absolutely agree with you, but I don't think the Premier League has been ba- as bad uh, as you've potentially just made it out to be. Hmm. So. That's the nonsense siren. He's back. Have we ditched Stu? Yeah, What's Stu done? Yeah. He's gone for a bit. I've been uh, under, un, from popular demand, I have returned to being the nonsense siren for now. Okay, okay. it's proper old school. This is, this is proper this old is school This is a real stuff. old school episode. I thought we'd, we'd bring it right back. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right, well, so um, over the course of quarantine, I've been, I've been trying to play quite a lot of games on my PlayStation, basically, because I'm not allowed to see any of my friends or anything like that. You're not allowed to go outside, can't go for meals, so inevitably spend more time on my console. And uh, I've been looking through the PlayStation Store quite a lot for good deals, good bundles, good little games here available for five or ten quid. What can I occupy my time with? Some of the games that I've found on the PlayStation Store have blown my mind. And I've put together the three weirdest ones that I've found while browsing the store. So in the number three is um, Fishing Simulator. So I'm not a fishing guy. Uh, and I'll make that clear. And some of you will be. So in that respect, each to your own. Um, Dean, you sort of strike me as the kind of guy who likes to hit the lakes. Do you like to hit I've the lakes? Never been, fish- never been fishing in my life, Mark. I would only go fishing if I got to go with Clint Dempsey and Jimmy Bullard. <laughs> but like, so not, not even fishing people surely want to play a game fishing simulator <laughs> it's not only like boring and presumably very unrewarding but I, I feel like it misses the point of fishing which is like to escape to the countryside to have a day out to you know get away from the family for a day turn it into a camping experience go away for the weekend you see your mates you know sink a few beers whatever you sit there and pretend to fish that's the worst bit of fishing fishing isn't it 
That's the worst bit. And the worst bit about this whole thing is that there are like 15 different fishing simulators on the store. Wow. Who's, who's buying these and who's making them? What's going on? Anyway. Must 20, be a demand if there's 15. Must be a demand. Anyway, 20 quids, uh, pretty good value. Enjoyed my weekend playing it. Best 20 quid I ever spent. <laughs> Uh, number two is the goat simulator. And, no, uh, I'm not having any bad words said about this. This is the greatest game of all time. No, this is this is a weird. This is weird. It's not bad. Uh, I, ironically, nothing to do with Messi or Ronaldo. Uh, it's actually about a goat. You control a fairly rabid, aggressive goat, and you run him around a fairly basic world of like farms and buildings and towns, and you just ram into stuff, and you can kill people. You can blow up petrol stations by going headfirst into them, destroying whole towns, wiping out whole villages. It's very strange. It's very low budget. Anyway, five quid, best I've ever spent. Enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, no, it is actually one of the funnest things I've ever played. Uh, yeah, I completely it, stand with you. This is so this is strange. unbelievably fun. It's so strange. As I say, if this isn't a list of the worst games, this is weird. Why would why was this made? I don't know, but I am thankful for this one. Uh, and at number one is Train Sim World Main Spessart Barn. Again, right back to the huh? fishing thing, mm. right? Train Sim World. There's not just one game, right, that you simulate control of a train. There are many different ones, and this one specifically takes care of a 52-kilometer stretch of German railway, starting in Aschaffenburg and ending in Gmunden, which is in Bavaria. Google tells me, and the goal of the whole game is to make sure that all of the trains arrive on time according to the schedule and timetable. What the fuck? Why, <laughs> I like that. What are I we think doing? That sounds like quite good fun. Why are we spending our time doing this? This is insane. So I looked, I looked up the trailer on YouTube, and I, this is something you have to do. Go on YouTube and look for Train Sim World Main Spessart Barn. Watch the one-minute trailer. It's the biggest mismatch of what's actually happening versus the music they put over it. It's like the final scene of The Avengers versus someone controlling a train up a hill is mad it is mad and obviously the game tries to throw like obstacles in the way sometimes like they try and make it harder sometimes it snows sometimes you've got a bit that's quite steep um sometimes you have to assist like a freight train like a carrier of coal up the hill because it's too heavy uh so you know mixes it up a little bit tries to make it a bit of a challenge but ultimately it's 152 kilometer stretch of railway one very specific area of germany and you're just driving trains back and forth anyway best 12 quid i've ever spent <laughs> no i think the thing with this is that like the, the, the scorn you've just poured on this game is exactly why the trains run on time in, in germany and they don't run on time in the uk because people yeah. know how to run train simulators whereas we're like <laughs> why'd you do that so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna run so a goat true. around and blow up some things instead <laughs> i tell you what the, the cross-country trains that i've been on in germany have been like clockwork but the the trains in inner in in munich are a joke so maybe the people of munich need to get onto this game and bear in mind this stretch does cover munich or bavaria at least they need to get on this they need to learn how to run a train well there we have it there we have it and uh, it's good to have nonsense back sam uh, and uh, that is pretty much all we've got time for uh, so all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to dean jones cheers man thank you very much to sam ty thank you it was good to have a, an old school episode back today. I've enjoyed this very much, boys. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Uh, we've been B off Football Ranks. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Take care. Peace. Bye-bye.